The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Making Money Fun with Shanna Tinjum. Like you, Shanna had all kinds of questions about money and finances from a very young age. She learned to not be frightened of financial discussions and became an expert on managing money in the process. Shanna and her guests are here to demystify money, investing, and personal finance. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC. Shanna Tinjum, Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge, guests on this show and Heritage Financial Strategies are not affiliated. Let's get started. Here's your host, Shanna Tinjum. Welcome to the Making Money Fun Show. I am your host, Shanna Tinjum, and I am super excited today to chat um, kind of the second part of our discussion that started last Friday. I'm back with Becky Chaluka from Chaluka Law, and Becky is here to kind of round out that conversation about estate planning. The topic of this conversation is where there's a will, there's a way. And I know uh, there are a very, very small percentage of Americans that actually create a will, and that is really disheartening to me as a financial planner and financial advisor, because what happens if you don't, the alternative, it can be really tragic for your family. But before we jump into that conversation, I wanted to give you a little bit of background and share a story with you about how Becky and I met. And it's a bit of a shameless promotion because I have a a book that just released on Wednesday that um, you'll be able to read a little bit more of my background on. But I am a co-authored a book. The title of the book is Business Skills for Entrepreneurs, Networking That Works to Build an Unstoppable Referral Engine. And I've had a ton of cool things come my way as a result of networking. And one of them is in the room with me today. Becky and I met about four years ago, I believe, at a networking function where we kind of got to know each other. And um, what you see before you today is a partnership. Becky is actually my partner in Heritage financial strategies, and we are in the same office together. And so uh, welcome to the conversation, Becky. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here today. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about uh, what you remember from from our uh, our first uh, couple of, of years of, of meeting and, and getting to know each other through networking. I remember laughing a lot. That's <laughs> probably one of the reasons why you and I both connected is we both just crack up all the time. So that's what I remember about our networking events. That's awesome. That is phenomenal. And I think that, that a lot of good comes from networking, and that's part of the reason why I wanted to contribute to this book. And as you're listening today, I am going to do a giveaway. So for those of you that are listening, the first five people that email me, I'm going to give you either your choice of the digital or the hard copy version of the book. So email me at Shanna at Heritage Financial AZ 
www.ghostbusinessmovie.com. And the first five people that do that are going to get your choice. So let me know if you want the digital version or the hard copy version. And I'll give you a copy of that book as well. But one of the reasons that Becky and I bonded so quickly is that we kind of both have a passion for the same thing. And that's really taking care of people. And what she does in estate planning, I feel, is taking care of people that um, from that perspective. And so I take care of them from the financial perspective. And she takes care of them from the estate planning perspective. And then we've got a full uh, financial plan for folks. And so, Becky, will you share a little bit with us about your background and how you got into estate planning? Sure. Uh, I think I really gravitated towards this area of law just because of my own personal history. So my dad died when I was 19 years old. And it was four days after his 47th birthday. Mm. It was quite a shock. It was a a heart attack. And going through that process and seeing things, you know, how they can work better if you have planned and how they don't work as well and can be very disheartening and and very difficult to go through if you haven't planned. Mm. It really just gave me a passion for wanting to help people through this process. Okay, got it. So did your dad actually do the planning that that you do now? My dad uh, was a security officer at Kmart when he died, but he had a will. Oh, wow. And that was actually one of the first things that we found in his desk after he passed. Wow. What an amazing gift that he gave your family because I've seen the opposite of that with, with some folks. And, and there we'll talk later on, probably in our second segment about this, but I also want to talk about some, some of the high-profile celebrities that didn't bother to mm-hmm. do this type Great of planning. Topic. Yeah, and, and it just baffles my mind that folks with that amount of money can, can just not even consider this important. And so for, for your dad to, to have taken that upon himself to provide you with that level of security is unbelievable to me. And I think that that's amazing. So tell me a little bit about how that worked then in your family when when you, when he passed away. So every state has different rules with probate. So my dad died in Ohio. So Ohio, there's always a probate. So we still had to go through the probate process. Um, a really big misconception is, oh, well, if you have a will, it means your family avoids probate. And that's not actually the case. Okay. So we still had to go through the court process. Okay. Um, but at least it made it easier with us knowing what his wishes were. Okay. Very good. Well, that I think that that's pretty amazing. And then I know you didn't go directly into law. You took a little mm-hmm. bit of a detour, right? I did. I did. I actually was pre-law in college, but I, I, I interned for an attorney, and he just wasn't a really nice guy. <laughs> and I decided if that's what attorneys were like, I wanted no part of it. So I detoured a little bit. I had some really kind of fun, cool jobs. I worked for the Cleveland Indians for a bit. Wow. Um, back when they were actually a really awesome team and winning, which they're winning again, so it makes <laughs> me happy. But yeah, so I've had a little bit of fun in my career before becoming an attorney. Oh, wow. I think that probably uh, contributes to the fact that you're very entrepreneurial at heart, right? I mean, I know a lot of attorneys aren't that way, but you kind of have a dual love, and that's, you know, estate planning and being an entrepreneur. Absolutely. In fact, I told a client that just yesterday, we were talking about the fact that I'm a business owner first, and I'm an attorney second, because Mm. not only do I deal with the law with my clients, which I love, but I also have an office staff and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, marketing and payroll and all that fun stuff that goes along with being a business owner, and I love that part too. Yeah, that it's it, it's hard to find that. I think in both our both of our professions, really, there are, there are usually either good technicians or good entrepreneurs, and it's hard to find the two. 
I would agree. <laughs> Absolutely, I would agree. And I, and I think we're pretty lucky in, in our office that we've got um, some great people that surround us that do stuff that we're not necessarily good at. Absolutely. Anything technical related, I always <laughs> am happy to give to somebody else. <laughs> yes, for sure. And the HR uh, and all that fun stuff as well. That's what, uh, that's what Rick, your husband, does for us in our office. And I'm very, very grateful for that because that's certainly not my strength either. And so we're able to focus really in our office on what we enjoy and what we're good at. Absolutely. And we let th- those folks that, that are good at other things do those types of things. So let's talk a little bit now about sort of why estate planning. I know there, it's a huge number. Isn't it like 75% of folks today don't have a basic will in place? Yeah. The last two polls we've saw, uh, one was a USA Today poll that said only about 25% of Americans have a will. Wow. And then another one said about a third of Americans have a will. Okay. Um, and what really surprised me is the last AARP poll we saw said 17% of Americans over the age of 50 have a will. Wow. And that really shocked me. Why is it so small? I I don't know. But, you know, procrastination was the number one reason given in the USA Today poll, why people don't do anything. Okay. And I think a lot of people just, besides the procrastinating, it kind of scares them to talk about this. They Mm. start thinking about their own death, and um, that's kind of scary and Mm -hmm. unknown and Mm -hmm. emotionally difficult, and and people try to put it off just for that reason. Yeah. Well, I can understand that. You know, nobody wants to think about death or dying, but unfortunately, none of us are getting out of this life alive. True, very true. <laughs> we're all we're all going to need this at some point and you know, I also hear from a lot of people, I think there's a misconception that you have to have a lot of money to do a will or an estate plan and and your story about your dad really proved that that's not the case, but tell us a little bit more about why that that really might not be appropriate. Uh, the reason why is when people think of estate planning, they only think about their stuff. Okay. And estate planning is so much more than that. Okay. The the majority of documents in an estate plan, for example, all deal with healthcare stuff. Mm. So who can make healthcare decisions for you yes. or get access to your medical information? Yes. That's all part of estate planning. And to me, that's the most important part is the stuff maybe that isn't dealing with just what you're leaving behind to others. But right. while you're alive, who can help you? Okay. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about that in a little more detail. So there there are kind of two different routes for estate planning, at least that um, I kind of understand. There's, there's a will. And then there's the trust side of things. So right. talk to us a little bit about those two and what documents are incorporated in those. Sure. Um, a will is basically instructions to the court that tells the court if there is a probate process, here's what you want to have done with your assets. Okay. A trust is something much different because a trust is a document that works not only when you die, but also when you're alive, if you have a revocable living trust. Okay. And a trust has different purposes. It helps you avoid probate, number one, but it also provides incapacity planning, so avoiding the probate court while you are alive. That's okay. called living probate. Okay. It also can provide asset protection for your loved ones. Okay. And we can also do tax planning if we need to. Okay. So there really is no dollar amount or I have to have so much money before I consider having a trust. Okay. It's what are your goals? Okay. If asset protection for your kids is a goal, we should do a trust. Okay. All right. Now, you mentioned living probate. Tell me more about that. What does that mean? So living probate is guardianship and conservatorship actions where while you are alive, we have to go to the court 
and have the court legally appoint someone to either make decisions for you or handle your resources. Okay. And when we have a revocable trust and we have our checking and savings and brokerage accounts titled in the name of that trust, under our state law, it is really easy for that next trustee to act for you. Okay. All right. So if you're in an, in an accident, let's say, or you have a health issue that um, puts into question your ability to act on your own. That's where these documents would be helpful, correct? Correct. And you mentioned celebrities earlier, so let me give you a celebrity story. Ah, I love it. Okay. So Whitney Houston's daughter a few oh years my. ago, Bobby Christina, a yes. lot of people may remember that incident. She uh, was in a healthcare emergency, and she was 18, 19 years old when this happened. Um, she obviously did not have any estate planning documents in place, and her dad had to go to court to get legally appointed as a guardian for her to be able to make her medical decisions for her. Wow. How awful would that be in the midst of all that grief and and indecision to have to deal with the court process? Nobody wants to deal with the courts and attorneys for three to four months and spend thousands of dollars when mom or dad or son or daughter is lying in the hospital room, and that's where you really want to be. Now... I think a lot of people out there listening may think that it's it's just naturally a default that mom or dad or husband or wife gets to make these decisions in those sort of cases. But what I hear you saying is maybe that's not the case. That's not the case. There is a priority in the statutes as far as who is allowed to, but you still have to have the legal authority to act. So whether that legal authority comes from a trust document or a power of attorney document or whether that authority comes from the court, you still need to have the legal authority to act. Wow. So if there's nobody available that has legal authority, that's when you've got to go to court and force that option upon somebody, right? Correct. And that's when they look at the priority under the statutes to says, who's our preference to to act first? Wow. That's that's heartbreaking. I can't even imagine what what that family must have been going through. So the, the trust documents could dictate that, but you could also have a power of attorney or... Um, HIPAA form. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about the difference between those two and when those are applicable. Yep. So a power of attorney, a healthcare power of attorney is who gets to make medical decisions or in Arizona, mental health care decisions for you mm-hmm. if you're not able to. Mm-hmm. And a HIPAA form, that's a federal, under a federal rule, that is who can get access to your medical information. And that means even calling up to the hospital and checking on you and seeing how you're doing. Okay. And uh, uh, another story, my mother-in-law, my, when my father-in-law went into the hospital a few years ago, uh, Carol was his healthcare power of attorney, and she had to make decisions for him. But Matt did not have a HIPAA form. Okay. So although she was the one responsible for making these decisions, doctors could not tell her anything about Matt's medical history. Oh, my gosh. And in that situation, it would have been helpful. He was in the hospital for double pneumonia. Um, he actually ended up dying. We wow. had to take him off life support. Wow. But we found out from the death certificate how he died. And it was from a lung disease that he actually had never shared with anyone in the family that he had. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So that would have been really good information for Carol to have in that week in the hospital when she was trying to make decisions regarding his lungs and if he would survive. Wow. I think a lot of people have, again, the misconception that spouses or parents will be able to get that information in the case of an emergency. And while that maybe used to be true with all of those new rules around HIPAA and all that stuff, it isn't true today. So so you need to have that. Is it is it called a HIPAA form? Is that what it is? HIPAA release form okay. is what I refer to it all as. All right. So you need a HIPAA release form for anybody that you might want to have access to those medical records. Correct. So that's number one. Number two is you need a 
healthcare power of attorney Correct. for anybody that you might want to have make decisions for you. And then I heard you mention it, but I wanted to bring it to everybody's attention in the state of Arizona, and it's not this way everywhere, you need a separate form for mental health care power of attorney. Is that correct? Right. We have two separate powers in Arizona, and they can be in the same document, but they do need to spe- be specifically listed. Okay. So it is a health care power of attorney and a mental health care power of attorney here in Arizona. Yeah. That is something that a lot of people don't realize. We dealt with that um, with my mother-in-law. We had the health care power of attorney. She ended up in the hospital and uh, physically able to leave, but mentally she wasn't able to make that decision, and we didn't have the form. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually had to do some fancy footwork and convince her to stay, because she had every right to get up and go, even though she just um, wasn't mentally able to make that choice. And so having been in that situation, I know how important that is, and I know there are other states that are like that as well, for those of you that are listening from all over the country. So check your local laws and statutes, because if you don't have that form, you could be in the same situation that, that we were put in. So it can definitely be um, uh, disheartening if you if you if you want to do the right thing for somebody that you love, but you're not able to do that. So, um, so there's the HIPAA form and the powers of attorney. Are there any other forms that dictate what happens when somebody is alive that can help? Yes. Yeah, so there's another healthcare document called a living will. And a living will is the document that says if you are in a persistent vegetative state okay. or an irreversible coma or you are in a terminal condition and you're at the end of le- your life that is legally defined as six months or less to live by a doctor, that's what your wishes are. Do you want to stay on support or not? Okay. Do you want to have pain relief medication given to you? These are your choices that you get to share that your healthcare agent can then follow through with. Okay. All right. So that's the Terry Schiavo document we've all heard of, right? You you remember the case well. (laughs) You know, as most people don't remember, Terry Schiavo, she was in a persistent vegetative state, and this was a case in Florida for, I believe it was 18 or 19 years. There was five federal court cases. Two went all the way up to the Supreme Court. The court cases alone, it was litigated for 15 years. My Lord. All because this one document wasn't put into place. Oh, my gosh. And imagine what that cost the family and the state to litigate. I I can't even imagine. Yeah just ridiculous. And so that that allows somebody to, under what circumstances, to disconnect life support, correct? Yes. Okay. All right. So those are all forms that you need to have. Now, um, when we come back from the break, we're heading into a break, I want to talk a little bit about how often people should review those documents and what they need to do with those documents if they move from one state to another. Because I think there's also a misconception out there that folks, um, they last forever, and that they transfer between different states. And that's a big issue here in the state of Arizona. We have a lot of snowbirds. We have a lot of people that live here part of the year. And so, you know, the the question becomes, what happens when you move? And also, what happens when you're on vacation someplace else? Which I think brings up a whole other conversation with respect to kids, because we're just in Arizona. We're getting ready right now to go back to school. And some areas are already back in school. And you know, during the summer break, what documents do you need in place to make sure that your mom Mom, dad, babysitter can, you know, make those decisions on behalf of your kid if you're, you know, not available. So, you know, that's definitely what we want to talk about when we come back from the break. I am Shanna Tinjum, the host of Making Money Fun, here with Becky Chaluka from Chaluka Law, and we'll be right back. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. 
Are you going through a life change like divorce, death of a spouse, or starting a business? Are you tired of financial professionals talking at you instead of with you? Are you worried that you may not have enough money to retire or to live the lifestyle you want in retirement? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you need to contact Heritage Financial Strategies today. At Heritage Financial Strategies, we'll get to know your goals and dreams and design a plan together to get to achieve those dreams. Call 480-397-1184 or visit heritagefinancialad.com. My goal is to develop a relationship where you feel like you can ask me any question and know that I'll give you an honest answer. Again, that's 480-397-1184 or heritagefinancialad.com. Shanna Tinjum, Registered Representative, Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. Shannon Tinjum, Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge and Heritage Financial Strategies are not affiliated. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Making Money Fun with your host, Shanna Tinjum. To reach Shanna or her guest today, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Shanna at heritagefinancialaz.com. Now, back to Making Money Fun. Welcome back to the Making Money Fun show. This is Shanna Tinjum, and I have a special guest in the studio today, Becky Chaluka from Chaluka Law in Gilbert, Arizona. And we ended last segment talking a little bit about some of the misconceptions around transferring and reviewing the documents that are so important to have in your estate plan. Becky, let's talk a little bit more about that. So the first question I want to ask is, how often should people review an estate plan once they have one in place? Sure. And there's really two answers to that question because number one, there's something that you need to do uh, that's personal only to you, meaning pull your documents out once a year. Okay. Just take a quick look. See if the people that you've named to act for you to be your helpers are still the people that you just want to be able to fill those roles. Okay. Uh, see who you're leaving your money to, if that's still what you want. Maybe you have grandchildren now, and now you might want to provide for them. Okay. So just see if those goals are still being met with your documents. Okay. And then every at least three years, you should really take it to an attorney as well and see if there's any legal changes that your documents might need to be updated with. Okay. Um, our laws in this area... Our state laws, federal laws, IRS tax code uh, gets involved with estate planning, and all of those change uh, a lot. In fact, here in Arizona, uh, we have a new law going into effect in our mental health care power of attorney actually next week. Wow. So uh, those are things to definitely be aware of that legal changes need to be updated as well. Okay. Wow, that's great to know. Now, I remember there was a magic date, I want to say six, seven years ago, where a lot changed in the state of Arizona, and I don't know if it was just in Arizona or if it was just nationwide, but can you tell me a little bit about that magic date and what changed and what folks that are listening should do if they have an estate plan that's earlier than that date? 
January 1st of 2009 is the magic number. Okay. January 1st of 2009. That's here in Arizona. And that is when Arizona Trust Code completely changed. Wow. So most states between 2000 and 2010 went through all of their trust code. We had what was called a uniform trust code that was uh, looked at across the country. Okay. And so most laws changed. So okay. if your documents were especially created in the 90s, mm-hmm. it absolutely is legally deficient at this, wow. this point. So then what happens if somebody leaves that in place and they pass away? Does it go to probate and get litigated then because there are holes in that plan? Not necessarily, but that's absolutely what could happen. Okay. The, the problem is, is you're not now taking advantage of all the new rules that have come into play, which are really good rules. Ah, okay. Uh, a lot of them deal with uh, IRAs because mm. the IRA laws have changed yes. all the time. So things can get litigated if you don't have an answer that we're looking for in your document. And unfortunately, I've seen some trust documents that are two and three pages long. Oh, my Lord. There are not a lot of answers in those documents. <laughs> and the only one who can give us an answer when we can't find one in a document is a judge. Oh, my God. So that's when we go to court and those okay. litigation costs start increasing exponentially. Wow. Okay. So anybody that has one before that date in the state of Arizona... Um, should review those. Now, do you you say people should look at those every year. Uh, I also believe, and, and you may have touched on this with the, you know looking at the folks that are helping you out, but if you have a life change, marriage, divorce, new baby, those types of things, those should also be triggers as well, correct? Absolutely. I mean, here's an example. Um, we, we have a client whose uh, healthcare power of attorney is their sister, and their sister now has dementia. Oh, my Lord. And they don't have anyone else listed as a backup in that particular document. Mm-hmm. So we're redoing her document right now to, in- first of all, include other layers of people. You should at least have three people named in all of your documents. Okay. So the initial person that you want, as well as a backup, and then a backup to the backup. Wow. So uh, if you don't have enough people in your documents, your documents aren't going to work when something like dementia or an accident to the other person happens as well. Oh, wow. So then what if you don't have three layers of folks that you want helping you, you know, your family if something like this happens? What what are your options if you don't have anybody that you trust that much? You know, this is really common, especially with folks who have very small families. Mm-hmm. It's really hard for them sometimes to come up with three people. Right. And there are private fiduciaries that can um, act for someone. Okay. So these are people that would obviously get paid for their time. Right. But you can sit down and talk to them and they can create a file for you so that they know what all of your wishes are. Mm-hmm. And then if the time comes for them to act for you, they can be employed to do so. Okay. So that might be a good way to solve some problems as well in the family. Maybe it's too big of a family and you don't want to pick one person to be responsible for all this stuff and have to be the mediator. Yes. That might also be another solution there, right? Absolutely. Especially when it comes to dealing with money. Yeah. The, you know, we all have kids that are great who just may not be so good with money. So that's <laughs> when we ask them to come see you and, yep. and start helping them with those skills. Yep. Um, but just because someone is your oldest kid, by the way, doesn't <laughs> mean that's the person you should automatically name to be your trustee. Yes. It, it's who has um, a good skill set of dealing with money, who can yes. work with financial planners yep. and accountants and tax people. Uh, who can balance their own checkbook and pay their own <laughs> right. bills on time. Right. That's the person that you want to make sure 
is helping you out, not someone just because they're your oldest child. Right, right. And I always tell my clients that, you know, when somebody inherits money, it just makes them more of what they already are. So (laughs) if they're a mess financially, inheriting money is not going to solve that problem. It won't. It'll make it worse, honestly. And then you'll have your family fighting over it, and they'll have to go to court to remove that person, and it just becomes a whole big nightmare. Yes, it does. So um, that brought up a great point. I think a lot of people have the misconception as well that if you have minor children, the money and the kids should go to the same people. Not necessarily okay. true. So right. these are things we really counsel our clients on. So, And there's really no right or wrong answer as long as you're thinking through the issues before you make a decision. Okay. So if you have, for example, your children are going to be raised by your sister if, if something should happen to you and your spouse okay. um, or the other parent, you know, just because they're going to be great parents for your children – it doesn't mean that they're going to be great with their money. Sure. Again, those are two different skill sets. Yep. So you might want someone else still managing your children's money mm-hmm. and then have that separation between who's raising them and who's managing their money. Okay. Or that sister could be rock star when it comes to money mm-hmm. and maybe they can do both. Yeah. So, but think through those to make sure that you're really putting the, the person and the position together in a good fit. Mm, that makes sense. That totally makes sense. Because I, I kind of compare it a lot to um, having people stand up for your, your wedding just because they're your brother or sister doesn't necessarily mean they should be in your wedding party, right? Um, it also doesn't mean if something happens to you, they should get all your life insurance money or be responsible for your kids. Absolutely. You know, and I think that's important for, for people to remember. So speaking of kids, and we touched on this a little bit before the break, we're getting ready to, or we're back in school here in Arizona, so this summer is already over with, but let's look forward to the next break or next summer. There are some documents that people don't realize that uh, grandma or grandpa or caretakers need to have in order to act in in the best interest of your child if something happens. Let's tell me a little bit about that and what, what you see there. So there is a document here in Arizona that nobody knows about, but it's really important. It's called a temporary guardian of minor children. And how that document works, it's really two ways. The first way is, let's say you want to go to uh, Hawaii with your business partner for a week, which we just (laughs) did a few weeks ago, which was fun. And you want to leave your child with grandma at home Mm -hmm. watching him. Well, we left mom this document that allowed her to do any type of um, activity going to camp. Uh, you know, zoo camp, by the way, you have to sign as a parent or a legal guardian. Wow. This gives them that opportunity to sign for any reason um, temporarily while uh, they are in their care. Okay. More importantly, however, this document is in a case of an emergency. So, for example, my husband and I are both here in Arizona, but all of our other family members have chosen to continue to live in cold, wintry, blustery states <laughs> for Crazy. some other reason. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> The problem with that is, is if something happens to Rick and I, and we're in the hospital because we're in a really bad car accident, here in Arizona, children can only be left in the care of a blood relative. Okay. And if we do not have this temporary guardian of minor document, it means the police would actually have to take Will into Child Protective Services until a family member could fly in. Wow. And that is not a result that we ever want to see happen. Oh, I can't imagine how scary that would be. It'd be terrifying. Yeah. So this document, we have our friends, we have neighbors, we have some of our coworkers. People, my son knows that Mm -hmm. they can take him in temporarily until other family can get into town. Wow. So that should be really for anybody that might have the responsibility of taking care of 
the child temporarily until the rest of the documents do their magic, right? Right. We have okay. our babysitter listed on there. Wow. Um, it's on file at the school. I mean, you you want you want to make sure not only that you have these documents, but people you've named in them have a copy as well, mm-hmm. and that they know where they are in case of emergency. Okay, that that's really really important. So, are there any other documents that deal with children? Um, other than, you know, the the trust, which we'll talk about in a second, that you recommend folks take a look at and have in place? Well, if you have minor children, a will is still the most important document for you in your estate plan. Okay. And that's because that document is where you get to name who will raise your children mm-hmm. in case something should happen to you and the other parent. Okay. So most important document, again, if you have minor children. that Those cases are absolutely heartbreaking to get litigated. Oh, I can't even imagine. Be- because what happens is, you know, family from both sides ends up standing up and saying, hey, you know, we think we should be the ones Ugh. to raise the children. And and then it's a family fight. Yep. And and those are just ugly. Yeah, I can I can only imagine. I mean, that's that's just got to be awful. So then if we have documents that are from another state or we're traveling in another state on vacation, how do we deal with that? So let's do those one at a time because it's different. Okay. So if you, for example, you mentioned snowbirds earlier. Mm, yes. So we have that a lot here. These are state-specific documents. Powers of attorney, there's different rules in each state. Okay. So someone coming from Ohio, for example, here to Arizona, they don't have a mental health care power of attorney there. Right. So you need to make sure that you have Arizona-prepared documents as well as Ohio documents if you snowbird, if you live part of the time here, part of the time there. Okay. And you want to make sure those documents reference each other, that they don't revoke each other. Oh, So that they're both active. All right. And if you're just traveling, that's different because Mm -hmm. we all travel. We're not going to, you know, take our three-inch estate planning binder with us anytime (laughs) we hop on a plane. Right. You know, that's $25 if you go into overhead on certain carriers. (laughs) So we don't do that. Um, But digital copies work beautifully. Okay. So we need to make sure that you have those scanned and emailed to everybody that, that's going to act for you right. and that they're going to keep it in their Dropbox or yep. their email or on their phone, yep. somewhere where they can get access to it in an emergency. For sure. And I'm um, trying real hard right now with my clients to get them to upload those documents to my um, file share that they use with me because then at least that's available if n- nothing else is available. And so it's really, really important that if you need those somewhere, you have access to all of that stuff. Absolutely. And okay. and with my clients, we have uh, given them a 24-7 access, emergency access card to keep in their wallet. Okay. So at least for their healthcare documents, if you're traveling, they keep it right behind their driver's license. And Perfect. then in a case of emergency, uh, medical personnel can get a hold of those documents and then start calling folks. I think that's awesome. That's really, really huge. Now, what if you move with existing documents in place that you said that's a whole different conversation, correct? Mm-hmm. So wills and trusts are going to be honored no matter what state that you are in. Okay. We're just going to follow the rules of whatever the the state that was defined in the document says. Okay. So if you're from Arizona and you decide to move back to the snow and cold in Iowa, where Shanna's from, <laughs> um, I don't understand that Crazy. decision. Crazy. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? But uh, I would still recommend going to an attorney there because our powers of attorney, again, state-specific, they may or may not work back in Iowa. Okay. So you're going to want to see how well they were. Okay. Um, here in Arizona, we're a little bit lucky because we have some really specific rules, especially with the health care and mental health care. It's sometimes easier using our documents in other states 
because they are much more specific. Yeah. When you're going from specific to general, typically you can use them. When you're going from a general state to a specific state that requires certain things in their documents, that makes it a little bit tougher to have those accepted at, at hospitals. Okay. All right. And that just brought up um, a thought that I had. So if we have a um, situation where you own property in multiple states, how is that handled? Oh, you need to plan. Because <laughs> what you're looking at is potentially probate in all of those states. Oh, my Lord. And so if that, and don't forget timeshares out there, yeah. people. Because timeshares are deeded weeks, typically. And you could have a timeshare in Florida and a cabin in Colorado, and you live in California, and now you potentially have three probates if you don't plan appropriately. Oh, my Lord. That sounds expensive. Super expensive. (laughs) Attorneys are are happy when you don't plan. Because they make a lot of money on that deal, They make a lot of money when when that happens. Well, so speaking of of cost, talk to us a little bit about how how much doing this right would cost. So don't get the, um, you know, Pennywise, pound foolish, unfortunately, happens a lot here. Do-it-yourself documents are not comprehensive documents, and they are litigated all the time. They just don't have enough information that we need to rely on. Right. So in order to do this properly, you really do need to see somebody who really specializes in this area of law. Mm -hmm. So in our office in particular, we have different types of plans, Mm -hmm. but a will-based plan, for example, so that would be a will plus all of the health care and financial power of attorney documents, ranges from about $1,800 to about $2,800, depending on if you're an individual or a couple. Okay. And if you're adding in and doing a trust-based plan, a revocable trust, which is also going to include trust funding, that's going to range in our office from about $4,000 to about $7,000, again, depending on if you're an individual or a couple. Okay. And so that the trust-based plan that includes pretty much soup to nuts, everything you need for the basic will and the basic trust. Absolutely. Okay. Soup to nuts. and. Now, um, after the break, I want to talk about this a little bit more, but what there are other kinds of trusts out there, right? I've heard of IRA trusts. I've heard of pet trusts. I've heard of special needs trusts. Mm-hmm. Those are all it, different uh, situational trusts that you would need, right? Yeah, there's actually 30 to 40 different types of trusts. Oh, my Lord. So <laughs> we don't have time to talk about all no, of them. No, <laughs> we don't have a three-hour show. No. <laughs> are there some that you see in your practice that, that are used more than others? Well, of course, the revocable trust we use quite a bit. We do do Medicaid planning trusts. Special needs planning trusts, okay. IRA protection trusts are becoming more, more and more, more important, yeah. especially after the Supreme Court decision about a year ago. Yeah, and I want to talk about that after the break because okay. I think that's really important that that we do talk about that. But I, I think that the the important part to remember here is if you're trying to do your documents yourself or if you're doing like a discount type of program, they may not know all of the situations that you're going through to recommend the right type of, of trust for you in these special circumstances, correct? Yeah, I see people, especially people who are maybe potentially going to be needing Medicaid in the future, and they've worked uh, with an estate planner who doesn't understand Medicaid and Mm. and do things that sound reasonable, like retitle their house in the name of their revocable trust. For Mm. estate planning, we would absolutely do that, Mm -hmm. but we can't do that if you're trying to apply for Medicaid. So there's a lot of rules that we need to be aware of. Yeah, and I think that's why it's really important to to sort of reevaluate your situation on a yearly basis, because life changes, right? Yes. Life always changes. Yeah. I think that, that that's important to remember. And I do also want to mention to folks that Becky does uh, monthly seminars that 
if you call the the office at Chaluka Law, they can give you some information. If you're local to the Phoenix area, she would love to have you at one of those seminars. And why don't you give some more information, Becky, about how people might be able to get um, on that mailing list? Sure. So two ways. You can call our office at 480-497-3770. Or you can go to our website, which is gilbertlawoffice.com. Thank goodness we didn't put my last name in that one because I'd never (laughs) spell it for people. But again, gilbertlawoffice.com, and we have my speaking schedule on the website, and you can um, RSVP for any of those presentations. We have a lot of fun. We laugh a lot. I had one last night, and we were all cracking up for a couple hours. (laughs) Yeah, people think about going to a legal seminar as like, you know, kind of like going to the dentist. Um, (laughs) But honestly, these are so much fun. You get a great meal. They're kind of held around the East Valley, and you get a lot of great information, which may lead you to understand that you've done a good job up to this point, or it might scare you into at least sitting down and, and chatting with Becky a little bit to determine if if you know you need to revisit some of those documents. So I think it's important at least that people know and take those proactive stack, steps towards making sure that they've done the right thing for their loved ones. So, so that's real important. When we come back from the break, I do want to talk about sp- specifically about some of those special trusts that we talked about and really what a trust is, because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about trusts and sort of how they operate and what they do and and what their purpose is when it comes to financial and estate planning. So so that's what I want to talk about on the flip side. Uh, thank you guys so much for sticking with me today. I am Shanna Tingen, the host of Making Money Fun. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you going through a life change like divorce, death of a spouse, or starting a business? Are you tired of financial professionals talking at you instead of with you? Are you worried that you may not have enough money to retire or to live the lifestyle you want in retirement? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you need to contact Heritage Financial Strategies today. At Heritage Financial Strategies, we'll get to know your goals and dreams and design a plan together to get to achieve those dreams. Call 480-397-1184 or visit heritagefinancialad.com. My goal is to develop a relationship where you feel like you can ask me any question and know that I'll give you an honest answer. Again, that's 480-397-1184 or heritagefinancialad.com. Shanna Tinjum, Registered Representative, Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. Shannon Tinjum, Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge and Heritage Financial Strategies are not affiliated. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Making Money Fun with your host, Shanna Tinjum. To reach Shanna or her guest today, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Shanna at heritagefinancialaz.com. Now, back to Making Money Fun. 
Welcome back to the Making Money Fun Show. I'm your host, Shanna Tingem, in the studio today with Becky Chaluka from Chaluka Law, and we're talking about all things estate planning. And I really want this last segment to focus on trust, because I think there's a big misconception out there among a lot of folks that you have to be a billionaire or a celebrity to employ a trust and really use it to its full benefit. And so, Becky, I want us to talk a little bit about that now and and really what a trust does. So let's start there. Tell us a little bit about why somebody would have a trust and when you should consider it, what sort of situation that you might be in that you might want to consider it. Okay, so again, there's there's some general uh, benefits to having a revocable trust. The first one would be to avoid probate. Okay. And depending on the state you live in and the types of assets that you have, having a trust is might be the only way that your family can avoid probate when you die. Okay. So that would be a huge reason. Probate here in Arizona, two to $5,000 on average, nine to 18 months on average. And we're one of the better states with that. Wow. So uh, another reason, again, incapacity planning. So... Right now, we're seeing across the country, banks are not accepting powers of attorney okay. as much as they used to. And there's really no state that has a law that says an, a financial institution must accept one. Okay. And because they're not uniform and they change from every state, banks are denying them and they're putting the legal liability back on the family and saying, listen, we're going to freeze this account. Just go to court. Have a guardian conservator appointed, come back, and when you come back after that three to $6,000 that you're going to spend and wow. that several months, we'll be happy to help you again. And I can't blame them for doing that mm-hmm. because they don't want to be responsible for looking at that document and seeing if it really is a valid, legally executed power of attorney. Right. So when we have um, our checking and savings and brokerage accounts titled in the name of a trust, mm-hmm. we don't have that problem. We're not right. relying on a power of attorney. We're re- relying on the, the successor trustee being able to act. And states have a much stronger trust code to make sure that financial institutions allow that trustee to act. So incapacity planning is a huge benefit. So if you're getting older, if you may have uh, some type of medical problem that you know of, if you have Alzheimer's or dementia in your family that Mm. you want to maybe prevent down the road from from dealing with headaches with, um, that would be an instance to consider incapacity planning with a trust. Okay. And so maybe I'm misunderstanding you, but if if you don't have your a bank account titled correctly, they could lock. It sounds like they could lock your money away for several months. So how does how does the family take care of paying your bills? Well, the family usually has to step up and pay for you. Hopefully, wow. until that happens. Wow. So if you've got a mortgage and a car loan and and all of that stuff, somebody's got to pay those bills, or those creditors are going to start foreclosure. Or, and repossession proceedings, probably, right? I mean, they could, but it's probably it probably would take many, many months okay. for those two scenarios to happen. But it's still problematic. Yeah, it still creates uh, issues because somebody's got to, not only do we now have to pay for a funeral, if you haven't done your advanced funeral planning, right? but we've got to pay bills that your prob- family's probably not prepared to pay. Well, and don't confuse uh, uh, f- uh, a uh, power of attorney dies with you. Okay. So if you just have someone listed as a power of attorney on your checking account, and if your bank accepts that, right. and, and your power of attorney can act for you, and then you die, that power of attorney dies the same mm. day with you. So that account at that time still gets locked down. Wow. And the only thing that can be used at that point is it's going to get transferred to either whoever you've left as a beneficiary, or it will go through probate. Wow. Wow. I think a lot of people don't realize that. Now, you mentioned trust funding. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about what that means and 
and why that's important. Sure. And I, we've come up with a great analogy. Well, at least, you know, it's great in my head. So hopefully <laughs> others will think so too. So when you create a trust, it's really a two-step process. And I like to think of it as building a swimming pool. Okay. So here in Arizona, we have lots of those. So when you build a pool, you it, it's all the conduit and the piping and the plaster and the tile work. It's the structure of the swimming pool. That's step one. And that's what the trust document itself is, is okay. the structure of the trust. Step two of having a swimming pool is you can't really swim until you fill it up with water. <laughs> well, you could, but you, then you might end up in you know another you know, problem. In another healthcare crisis <laughs> when you crack your head open. Right. So filling up your, your trust with your assets is like filling up your pool with water. And so it's the process hmm. of going in and retitling your assets to either go into your trust right now or by a beneficiary form to go into your trust when you die. Okay. And that's step two. And unfortunately, step two doesn't happen very often. I, I recently heard a statistic that 75 to 83% of trusts in the United States are unfunded, meaning wow. the swimming pool was built, but there is no water in the pool. Well, then what point is building the pool? Well, it, if you did it right, there was a good point, right. but you never finished it. Right, so right. It, you're not getting any of the benefits of having the pool at Got that point. It. You're okay. just looking at it. And it, that's yeah, it's some, not real pretty either. No, and that's just some pretty expensive paper. <laughs> It is. So then what do people need to do to fund that trust? Mm-hmm. It is a longer process. And, and the reason why it doesn't happen is is clients just um, kind of give up most mm, of the time. Okay. So they think they're done once the documents are done, right? Right. And it's frustrating to go back and do that second step. Okay. So in our office, we're one of just a few uh, attorneys in the state, we believe, that absolutely does 100% of the trust funding as part of our process. Okay. It's not an add-on. It is included in our price. Okay. And so we take that process on. We still need a client's help to do that. Right. But we fill out all of that paperwork, have them come back in and sign that to make sure everything gets into the water. Okay. All right. So you do that for your clients. Yes. So you're collecting the change of beneficiary forms and figuring out all that stuff that needs to happen, but you can't do that without their participation, right? Right. We we give them a list of the things that they have to go to their financial institutions and get. Right. You know, some are better than others. <laughs> right. I'll tell you, Charles Schwab's, the, all of their documents are online, so that's really easy, easy. for us to download. Yep. Um, but some require that, you know, they can only talk to their clients or give a blank form to their clients. So clients have to get that for us and funnel it to us, and then we fill it all out for them. Okay. And you do that and then submit those to the financial institutions or whomever needs to have those, correct? Correct. Okay. Wow. I think that's pretty huge because I think most people that have a trust think that that's sort of enough. They're done. They yeah, think they're done. They're and done. they're not. No, they're they're totally not. That's um, kind of scary. So then what are some other popular types of trust that you see in your office being used as part of this process? So of course there's special needs mm-hmm. trusts, which in our office we see a lot of actually in my trust, I include special needs planning in all of my trusts. Okay. And and that's for the situation of we don't know what's gonna happen right. to somebody's kids in the future or their right. grandchildren. Okay. So we just include that. But there are trusts that are if you have um, a special needs child right now, there are first party trusts. We usually see those a lot coming out of maybe a personal injury accident and, and that child is gonna be getting some type of monies through that um, injury, and so those can be set up. Um, another big one we're seeing right now, again, because of a Supreme Court decision a couple of years ago, is for those people who have a large amount of money in their IRAs. Mm-hmm. So if they have uh, you know $150,000 or more going to any beneficiary from their IRA, okay. so if they have you know several kids that they're leaving money to... 
Um, the Supreme Court now has said that inherited IRAs, so when we leave IRAs to our children or grandchildren, okay. those no longer have any federal asset protection. Wow. So if you, on a beneficiary form, say, to my son Robert, and you give him their, your half a million dollars in your IRA, and the next month Robert is in a car accident and gets sued because he hurt somebody, that $500,000 can be eaten up by his creditors. Wow. Okay. So then how do you prevent that? So there are special trusts that we can use, um, IRA protection trusts, okay. where we can do an accumulation trust, which has multiple benefits. Asset protection is one of them, uh-huh. but also a way to accumulate that wealth okay. so that we can continue to grow that money for clients who really want their monies to last down through several generations. So now what if Robert is just not real good with money and he's going to go out and go to the casino and as soon as you leave, going to you know go bl- blow that money? Well, that's another reason why people choose to have any type of trust. <laughs> for sure. So, But here's what people don't realize. So when you have an IRA and you leave it to Robert, for example, mm-hmm. um, unless it's in an IRA protection trust with a trustee other than Robert. Okay. Robert has every uh, every opportunity to go ahead and cash out that IRA 100% without any penalty. And I, and I bet that happens quite often, doesn't it's it? It's somewhere over 90% was the latest <laughs> oh, statistic I heard. Oh, my Lord. Yikes. Yeah. yeah. So for, for people who don't want their money to be gone that quickly, mm-hmm. that's when you can have monies either flow through a revocable trust mm-hmm. or an IRA asset protection trust. And the key is who are you going to allow to be the trustee of that? Because the trustee is the person who can make the decision to fully take down all of the money without penalty in that IRA. So you really have to trust that person. So that could be a family member or it could be one of those paid fiduciaries that we talked about in the last segment, correct? Absolutely. Okay. I right. have a I have a private fiduciary in my own trust just for that reason. Yeah, because you don't want somebody going to a family member and, you know, begging that they need more money because they're going broke and when in reality they just want to buy the, you know, next version of the Porsche or whatever. Right. <laughs> and and the last statistic again I heard 17 months or less when people have a bucket of money that they get to spend freely, mm. 17 months or less is how quickly that money goes, regardless of how much it is, whether it's yep. $10,000 or a million. I can attest to that in my own practice. Almost without fail, no matter what I do, it's it's um, pretty much gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that could easily be avoided by putting that language in place in the trust. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I also want to ask you another question. So you keep mentioning revocable trust. Is there such a thing as an irrevocable trust? Yep. There's, uh, again, we mentioned there's like about 30 to 40 different types of trust. They're mostly in two categories, revocable trusts and irrevocable trusts. And let me ask you a really important question, Shanna. Yes. What do you think revocable means? Well, I would say it means you can change it when you want to. Yep. Winner, winner, winner. (laughs) What do you think irrevocable means? It probably can't be changed whenever you want to change it. You got it. So that's the difference between the two. And there's different reasons to do those two types of trusts. So revocable trusts are done typically to avoid probate and to leave money uh, to who you want, when you want, how you want with some strings attached or some rules attached to it. And we do irrevocable types of trusts for asset protection and tax planning purposes. Okay. All right. So now that brings to mind um, something that I've heard of recently. There is a very, very popular personal financial radio show and and author that um, has kind of publicly come out against irrevocable 
um, trust, saying that they're they're not necessary and a bad deal because they, they'll create all kinds of unnecessary paperwork. How do you respond to that? Oh, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> and actually, it was revocable trust. And, and what it was, it was a, a recent book that they came out with, and, and they said, oh, revocable trusts are bad, and you give up control of your money, and, I, and made the joke of, and I would have to live next to my attorney and my accountant anytime I would even want to you know spend anything. And mm. that's just absolutely not true. And I think what was maybe happening is they were confusing revocable and irrevocable. irrevocable. Yeah. And they didn't quite understand what they were talking about. Sure. So revocable trusts are fantastic planning tools. Okay. So when life changes or when things happen, you can go to your attorney and really make those changes. And it's fairly easy to, to accomplish those changes. Yes, it is. Okay. All right. That totally makes sense. So what, um, as we close out the show today, I just wanted to briefly ask for, for some other, you know, r- planning tips that you might have. And I know some of you probably still remember Prince passing away. And I know there was a whole brouhaha with his estate after he passed away. So how could that have been avoided with estate planning? Oh, that that case just really frustrated me. So, <laughs> um, and, you know, rest in peace, Prince, but I really wish that you would have done this for your family. So not doing anything is going to create a ton of money for a whole bunch of attorneys um, mm-hmm. in this probate process because okay. this one's going to go on for a while. So uh, very simply, number one, it, whether he had a will or a trust, he could have had a will that said who he wanted everything to go to. That yeah. would have taken out some of the problems. Right. Um, and if he had a trust, trusts are private documents. I'm always shocked from all of these, and maybe I shouldn't be, because celebrities like fame, and they like attention, and they're 15 minutes, and maybe that's why they don't plan. I don't know. Maybe they like to have the fact that they're in the news all the time, even after death, because now we're dealing with all of their probate issues publicly. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe it was intentional. I mean, maybe it was, right? I don't know. <laughs> but it, when you do trust planning, it's all private. We don't have to know what your wishes are. Okay. That You don't need to share that with the world. And, okay. And you could have done so much more for your family by allowing those to happen instead of in the public eye while you're mourning the death of your brother or or your friend or, or whomever okay. to, to keep that process away from your family so that they have time to grieve in private. Oh, wow. Yeah, because then you become, you know, front page news if you're in court fighting over the little red Corvette or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the Raspberry Beret yes. or, you know, and whatever. I, and I hear they're fighting. There's someone who's contested saying they're, you know, Prince's long-lost child. So oh, my Lord. we have that battle to deal with now. So. Oh, my Lord. Well, and that brings up a whole other conversation, which which really is all about blended families and non-traditional families, um, which, you know, is is a whole show in and of itself. Um, and and so that's definitely something that, that it, you know, we, we will, um, you know, if you, if you want – I wish we could go into it today, but if you if you want to hear more on that subject, listen to last week's show, um, which is all about that subject. Because we will we will um, be talking about dealing with non traditional couples and same sex couples and blended families as well um, on that show. So th- it, it, there's just so much to this whole process that I don't um, I don't know why folks don't do it, but I think it's just the fear of the unknown, really, for the for the most part. Don't you feel that way? Uh, you 
you know, to me, it goes back to that USA Today poll. Procrastination. 72% yeah. of people said procrastination. It's it's not fun to think about, but, you know, when you're planning your next vacation or what you're going to do for the Christmas holidays or that, for all of us, we have a tendency to do the fun things yeah. instead of the things that aren't so fun. And yeah. I, I think procrastination really is the number one reason. Wow. That's, that's pretty awesome. Well, I am super excited to have had you here today and uh, rounding out this uh, second part of it, of the two-part series, Becky. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. It's, it's been fun that for the last four years, we've been able to laugh through all of this. <laughs> yeah, and we, and we do see some pretty tragic situations in our office, but um, really what we both do is planning to try to avoid the situations that we talked about today. So, And I think that's pretty much why we both do what we do and why we are such a good fit. And we recognized that at the very beginning of our friendship a number of years ago when we met at a networking event. So just to remind all of you that are still with me, thank you for being with me. But if you would like a copy of the book that was just released on Wednesday, Business Skills for Entrepreneurs, Networking That Works to Build an Unstoppable Referral Engine, I am a co-author of that book. And if you will email me at shanna at heritagefinancialaz.com, The first five people that email me will get your choice of the hard copy or the Kindle version of that book. So let me know which one you want. And if you're in that first five, I will certainly shoot you that as soon as I get my hands on those. So um, that is really what I wanted to to, uh, let you guys know today is is there, there are so many things that you can do to help your family through what really will be a heartbreaking situation, whether you're incapacitated when you're alive or when you pass away, which is something that's going to happen to all of us. So thank you so much for being here. And my name is Shanna Tingem. I am the host of Making Money Fun, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in today. Be sure to catch the next episode of Making Money Fun with Shanna Tinjum, live next Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great weekend and an amazing week. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC. Shanna Tinjum, Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge, guests on this show, and Heritage Financial Strategies are not affiliated. 